Hello, and welcome to ACS Chemical Biology's podcast for April 2009. I'm Eric Martins, Managing Editor for The Journal. I'm joined by my colleague, Meredith Dewey. Hi, Meredith. Hi, Eric. Hello, everyone. This month, we highlight five research papers and one perspective. In one paper in this issue, researchers led by Daniel Hirschlag examine a hot topic in chemistry, namely whether it's possible to retain catalytic activity after replacing a hydrogen bond in the active site of an enzyme with a halogen bond. In another paper, research from the lab of Matt Disney demonstrates that peptoids that modulate RNA function can be identified by designing RNA-focused chemical libraries and screening with microarrays. Heat shock protein 90 is a promising cancer drug target. However, some drugs that target this protein can be rendered ineffective by the development of resistance. Researchers led by Peter Piper have now identified a mutation in this protein that can lead to specific resistance to a drug. Our perspective in this issue, written by Terry Kennekin, covers the application of major pharmacodynamic parameters of drugs in the quantification of biological activity of these drugs. Modification of proteins with ubiquitin is a critical component of protein regulation and provides instructions to the cell regarding trafficking and degradation. Researchers in Hide Plo's lab use activity-based protein profiling to search for additional enzymes involved in ubiquitination. Our final research paper, which comes from the lab of Jay Kiesling, describes the enhanced production of a precursor to a drug for treatment of malaria. We'll be talking to Jeffrey Dietrich, the first author of the study, later in the podcast. But first, we'd like to highlight some interesting content you'll find only on our website. In Ask the Expert, we give you the opportunity to pose questions directly to top scientists in the field. Our current expert is Dr. Sheng Ding, Associate Professor at Scripps Research Institute. He will be fielding your questions about the use of chemical and functional genomic tools to study stem cell biology and regeneration. Submit your questions for him today at www.acschemicalbiology.org. To learn more about the junior authors of the papers in the current issue, please see the Introducing Our Authors feature in print and on the web. This month, we meet six young scientists, Jeffrey Dietrich, Lucas Labuda, Daniel Kraut, Carrie Love, Stefan Milson, and Renuka Pandya. Read this section and get a younger chemical biologist's perspective on their research. We continue to define chem-bio-glossary terms on the air. This month's keyword is antagonist. In medicinal chemistry, an antagonist is a molecule that binds to a receptor to prevent the activation of that receptor by an agonist. We are joined today by Jeffrey Dietrich in Jake Kiesling's lab at the University of California, Berkeley. Hi, Jeffrey. Hi, how are you doing? Good, how are you? Not too bad. Uh, in the manuscript, you've worked on a new semi-synthetic route for the production of artemisinin. For the benefit of our listeners, can you briefly mention what the utility of this natural product is? Artemisinin is a naturally occurring sesquiterpene that is native to Southeast Asia and has been used to treat malaria as far back as 200 B.C. So there's been a lot of interest in using this natural product as a treatment for malaria today. And artemisinin has been recognized by the World Health Organization as the first-line treatment for malaria. Uh, It's never used as a monotherapy, or ideally not used as a monotherapy, because of resistance developing, but is used often in combination therapies, and that's the recommended procedure. It's an important product because areas to which malaria endemic are usually areas 
to which healthcare is not as easily accessed as it is in the United States. And about $4 per person per year are spent in, on healthcare in these regions. And about 300 to 500 million people are infected with malaria annually, and one to three million people die. And 90% of these people are children. So there's a strong impetus to bring cheaper therapies to market. And that is one of the ways we are exploring bringing this therapy to market is through the production of artemisinin and intermediates to artemisinin production in microbial hosts. I'm just curious, could you tell us a little bit about how uh, it actually works in combating malaria? Sure. There is some research uh, on the actual mode of action, and I'm not too familiar with a lot of the details on this end, but it inhibits a calcium transporter, I believe. So they've done a lot of work on, not actually within the falciparium protozoa, but rather in some model organisms that try to figure out the mechanism of action. I'm not too familiar with the mode or mechanism, but there is some research on that end. So the, the paper describes the engineering of the biosynthetic pathway for artemisinin, and why did that project interest you specifically? My interests lie in directed evolution and protein engineering, and one of the driving factors we see in this field is that you really do not have the ability to take pathways from heterologous hosts, put them E. coli, and just have them work the way you expect. There are problems with taking eukaryotic enzymes that are often membrane-associated, they're poorly soluble in E. coli, and you often don't have the activity you desire. So instead of going the route of finding native enzymes and using them in E. coli or any prokaryotic host, we're looking towards developing creative new methods towards achieving the same goal. So in this paper, we explored the idea that we could create a promiscuous enzyme taking a well-known P450, uh, P450-BM3, from Bacillus megatherium, and then imparting a greater degree of promiscuity, allowing broader substrate specificity, and that would then allow our target substrate to be oxidized. And then following, we use the computational method, Rosetta, which is developed in David Baker's laboratory, and trying to then close the actosite a little tighter and to increase the activity towards our desired substrate. So could you briefly run us through how the production of a precursor to artemisinin was increased? Sure. Our lab has been working on the isoprenoid pathway for a number of years, and this is uh, a native pathway to E. coli, and it has one route, the DXP pathway. And then in a lot of eukaryotes, including yeast, there's the mevalinate pathway. And these end in the five-carbon precursor, IPP and FPP. And through condensation reactions and cyclization reactions, we can achieve a wide array of terpenes. One of these is amorphodiene, and that is one of the precursors along the route to artemisinin production. So that was our initial carbon skeleton that we started off with. And what we then needed to do was oxidize amorphodiene in a very regio and enantiospecific reaction to kind of move ourselves along the pathway that we outlined in our paper to reach artemisinin in the end. So we went the route of trying to select a P450 that we knew could oxidize and epoxidize substrates that were very similar to ours, and then kind of started our computational and saturation mutagenesis approach from there. So uh, one final question, uh, where do you take this from here? There's a lot of work that can be done. I should say that one of my main points that I took away from this study was the need for 
more high-throughput screening technologies in the area of metabolic engineering. So all of our work was done screening by GCMS or LCMS, which are very, very low-throughput techniques. So there's a strong demand for the field to move in the direction of detecting compounds that were trying to produce microbially in a much more high-throughput manner. So that's where my personal research is going. In terms of this pathway in artemisinin in production, there's both a lot of protein engineering work trying to improve activity of P450BM3 and increase it back towards levels that you achieve with the native substrates, which are fatty acids. And also there's a lot of work on the metabolic engineering of E. coli. P450BM3 uses NADPH as a cofactor. So you can imagine that as you try to improve production titers and make the process more economical, that you are going to eventually run into a paucity of supply of NADPH. Mm. So that's one of the main foci that our lab and other labs will probably be looking towards in the future. All right. Well, good luck with your future work, and thanks for being with us today. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Did you know that you can network with thousands of other professionals at the new ACS networking site? ACS Network is a professional networking platform that enables you to connect, communicate, and collaborate with other like-minded chemists and chemistry enthusiasts. Sign up online today. You'll find a link with additional information on the ACS main webpage at www.acs.org. That's it for this month's show. Join us next month for more ACS chemical biology highlights and interviews with our authors. To learn more about the journal, please visit www.acschemicalbiology.org. Thanks to all of you for listening.